Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. Well, how was your week? Because mine wasn't the way I planned. You ever have a week like that? Is it every week? (laughs) You know, one of the things you have to learn is how to adapt when what you experience isn't what you expected. I'm I'm actually going to preach a whole series on that called A Thrill of Hope starting in a couple weeks, our Christmas series, and it's going to be, I hope it's going to be good. But as most of y'all heard last week, our plan was after last Sunday morning, after church and all that kind of stuff, we drove to Charlotte to get on an airplane to go across the pond and spend a few days in Czech Republic because we have been in process now for over a year, I think, right, Marcel? Over a year, probably, um, of developing a new global initiatives partnership with some missionaries over in Czech Republic because we believe that God has called us to serve both locally and globally that we have responsibility to meet the needs in our community and take the gospel to the world. And obviously in the last couple years with COVID and all that kind of stuff, this whole global thing has been on hold, but we felt like God is now opening these doors and we're gonna take a team in a few weeks and, or a few months later on this summer and we wanted to go kind of get our feet on the ground and prepare and we were gonna go from, from Charlotte and eventually make it to Switzerland. Well, we ended up in Newark. <laughs> and that is as far as we got. Because we got on a plane and had lots of delays and ended up sitting on the tarmac in Charlotte for over three hours. And uh, it was rough. The, the pound of gummy bears I ate made it bearable. <laughs> Literally, y'all. I, I was, I, you had to wear a mask. I'm going, like stress eating. Gummy bears is good. And anyway, we finally took off. We had missed our plane and, and you know... Ended up spending the night in Newark, coming back Monday and all that kind of stuff. And of course, when something like this happens, you know what good Christian people say? Well, you know, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, the people in Newark don't know what they're doing. That's what, that's what it was. And my mama, who didn't want me to go, was upstairs praying and working a Ouija board or something, I don't know, to keep me on the ground for, because she didn't want me to go. I'm 43 years old, but that's all right. I'm her baby. Like, right, parents? So you always... But... It was one of those weeks, though, where had it gone as we planned, had it been what we expected, there were two specific opportunities that I got that I wouldn't have had. And, and I, don't, I don't know, maybe this was from God or whatever, but I'm, before the end of the day, I'm, I want to tell you about both of them. And the first one, it was actually the second one, but the first one I want to tell you about, it was on Thursday afternoon. Our offices at our church, if you don't know, are are back here in the back, and so we keep everything kind of locked up up here so that when people come, we have a a doorbell that they ring, and it buzzes in our office, and we can let people in, and so 15 times a day, FedEx and UPS and Amazon, y'all's pastors need to quit buying stuff, y'all, because it's just, anyway, the doorbell rang Thursday afternoon, and I could hear the voice, Lyle went to answer it, and it was a guy, and he said, yeah, I need to come to the altar, and, of course, that piqued my interest because we don't really, I don't know what he was expecting. He obviously had never been in our church before. He had heard about our church, turns out, through a coworker, and that's a whole, whole other story. 
So I, I tell Lyle, I said, I'll go up and I'll meet him. And I'll walk up to the front and I go to the door and I open the door and there's a gentleman standing there. I said, sir, can I help you? And I could see he was super emotional. Tears were like coming down his face and he was shaking. And he just said, I, I, just, I just need to go to the altar. I said, well, you know, we don't really have an altar, but I'd love for you to come in and we can sit and talk for a minute if that would be okay. And I could tell he hesitated for just a minute. And he said, yeah, I think I would like that. So we walked in the door, and if y'all haven't seen, there's a little bench that sits right out there, and that's where he wanted to sit. And so he and I sat down on that bench right up against this wall on the other side of the information bar, and we just, we started to have a conversation. And I could see right away that, man, this was going to be one of those conversations that, that I didn't, I didn't want to mess up. And y'all, I'm, I'm a preacher. I'm not a counselor. That's just, so if you want counseling, I'll help, but, but I'm like, I'm not, I'm not the best equipped for that. I'll give you biblical instruction. I'll pray with you. I'll love you. I'll give you, but you know, so we just started talking. And again, super emotional. And he said, does God really forgive our sins? Turns out he, he had a situation unfold in his life when he was 13 years old that has really affected his life ever since, ruined some relationships, messed up some situations with some family, and it was, it was a pretty intense deal. That's, he's, and he was now, I think he was in his mid-30s. I think he told me he was like 35, 37, something like that. And so that's a long, that's for over half his life he's been walking with this thing and he just, and, and there's so much shame and so much guilt over it and, and it's, it's, it's one of those things that in our culture too, people, he's, and he just said, I don't, I don't know. He said, I don't know if I'm forgiven. I don't know if, I don't know if I'm forgiven. He said, because I think about it every single day and I, and I can't shape it. And then and I'm sitting here praying, all right, Lord, like Matt ain't got nothing here. I need you. Like, Spirit, you need to give me words right now because this guy is definitely in need of you, and I just need you to give me words. And so we just started talking, and, and number one, it, it just been reminded that there's things that happen in our lives. There's things that we do that we can't forget, but just because you can't forget it, look at me, doesn't mean he hasn't forgiven it. And, and you know, I'm, I'm trying to give him scripture because, y'all, in these moments, your opinion doesn't matter. God's word is what has weight. And, and, and it, you, can't, you can't wait till you find yourselves in these moments to be ready for them. And, some, and what I discovered, y'all, is throughout this whole conversation, everything that we've been learning, I'm going to show you, in just the last few weeks, is, it was God, I thought it was to preach to y'all, it was God preparing me to talk to him. And I started saying, you know, Scripture tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and true to forgive us. And that even though that we can't forget it, he chooses to. He buries it in the depths of the sea as far as the east is from the west. That he chooses not to remember those transgressions when they're covered by the blood of Jesus. And then, and I didn't even tell all this in the first service because I wasn't planning on talking about this today. So it's just coming out, okay? And he said, well, how do I get saved? I'm like, well, how do you know to confess your sins? And, you know, and it just shows you, man, that there's people that have some association with the gospel but don't really know it. And, and that there's something in him longing for, for God, even though he doesn't even fully understand who he is. This God that wants to be known that we've been talking about, like he, he is chasing this man's heart. And so I start unpacking it for him and 
And then it led to some really hard conversations because he started asking me some stuff and I knew like, man, when I tell you what I think the God's word says about this, you might shut down this conversation. And so I pulled out, I didn't have, I didn't have my, my physical Bible, I had my phone and I said, well, let's, what, what you've just asked me about, like I don't, I don't wanna give you my opinion, let's, let's look at God's word. And we started looking at God's word and walking through it and talking and having a conversation and, and, and tears were flowing and, and he even proceeds to tell me that two, for, for the last two or three days he had been thinking about taking his own life. And then after all this, you know, talking about salvation and all that kind of thing, he, he asked me, he said, hey, but, because you could tell like there's that, there's that tension in his flesh of him, him not wanting to give up some things about his life, but knowing that like if I follow Jesus, I'm gonna have to give those things up and, and like living in that tension of my flesh wants this, but my faith is pulling me to, y'all with me, y'all understand that tension? You ever lived in it? Come on, where you know like your flesh desires this, but you know God desires something else and so you're living in that tension and to surrender to him means to let go of that thing and you're just wondering, you're weighing it. He looked at me and he said, what if I just wait till I'm about to die and I ask God to forgive me? Well, he let me into heaven then. Like, basically saying, like, you know, what, can, I just, can I just keep doing what I've been doing? Can I, can I live the life that I've been living and just wait and on my deathbed, just cry out to God and ask for forgiveness and, and then, well, he let me into heaven. And I know scripture Jesus tells the parable in Matthew 20 of the workers in the vineyard. Y'all remember that? Where Jesus says there's workers that come in the morning and come later in the day and later in the day and then almost quit in time and when they go to get paid, the owner of the field pays them the same wage. And I know the thief on the cross when he cries out to Jesus in his dying moments and Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. I said, but man, that's a dangerous game to play. And I said, but here's the other thing too. If you do that, not only is it dangerous, the reality is it's worthless. Because as much as you think that living the way that you want to is the key to happiness, and that somehow that Jesus is only adding value to your life after it ends, you've missed it. And then I started to wonder, is that the impression that we've given people about the gospel? That somehow the gospel only has value when you die and no value while you're alive? Because if that's the impression that you've gotten or we've been given, it ain't true. That there is value on the other side and there's value on this side. That Jesus died so that we have eternal life then and a full life now. It is both. And then right in that moment I started to think, like this is what we've been talking about that here's a man that's only concerned about being saved and not really understanding what it means to really live in a relationship with Jesus that, yes, gives you an eternal life then, but offers you a full life now. And those things that you think you need, that you want to wait to ask forgiveness for then, they're actually not giving you what you really want. They're not giving you fulfillment. They're not giving you hope. They're not giving you purpose. They're giving you, at best, temporary pleasure. And I started to think, like, isn't that what we've been talking about this whole time? That so many people, all that we see Jesus as is something, and, 
One thing I think we need to remember too, Ricky Bourne, who he and I do a podcast together, but he told me, you know, eternity doesn't start when you die. It started when you were born. You were built for eternity and you will exist in all of eternity. And on the other side of this life, it will be heaven or it will be hell. There is not a third option. I know that ain't popular to say in 2021, but it's the God's truth. Come on, it's the word and I'm just gonna say it. It's the truth. But your eternity began the moment you took your first breath. And, and I just wonder if the reason why people are asking the wrong question is because we've for too long been given an incomplete answer. Not a wrong answer, but an incomplete answer. That Jesus has something for us now and he has something for us then. And what we've been talking about in this year's iteration of Live Love is that reality. That Jesus wants more than just to see you saved. He wants to see you transformed. He wants more than just to offer you life on the other side of death. He wants to give you full life now. He wants you to more, do more than just find him. He wants you to follow him. And that's what it means to be a disciple. But as I was sitting there having that conversation with me, it also hit me, well, this also makes sense as to why so many people see no need for the church. Because it's like, I'm saved, I'm good, I don't need the church. I'm saved. Why do I need to go to church? I'm saved. Well, when we understand that it's not just about being saved, it starts to make sense, come on. And people say all the time, well, I ain't gotta go to church and go to heaven. You're right. There's nothing wrong about this. I don't have to go to church to get saved. You're right. You don't have to go to church to get saved. But you need the church if you're going to be a disciple. You don't have to go to church to get saved. But look at me. You need the church if you're going to be a disciple. And that's the way Jesus meant for it to be. That for us to grow in him, us to not just find him, but grow and learn how to follow him, we need the church. And maybe the reason why so many people think they don't need the church is because they felt all along that all this was about was just going to heaven when Jesus meant for it to be so much more. And the church is supposed to be the place, the vehicle that helps people find and follow Jesus. That, yeah, we're supposed to be the people that make the introduction and the people that help grow in the knowledge and, and transformation as well. Like, that's what we're supposed to be as the church. And I know that, that and I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. Y'all like, I'm right here. I'm, we're here. Why are you saying? The church is supposed to be that place that helps people grow in their faith. That's what we're here to do. The church is not a place just to give you somewhere to go on Sunday. The church is not a place for you to assert your agenda. The church is not a place to entertain you. The church is a place to help you find and follow Jesus. The church is a place that should inspire people to live and love like Jesus. And you don't have to go to church to get saved, but you need the body of Christ to become the mature disciple of Christ that he created you to be. And I know that we haven't always done this well. Because I know somebody's saying, like, Matt, I believe that. But my church experience has not been that. My church experience has not helped me grow in my faith. 
And but the church is always gonna be a messy place. I heard a preacher say one time that every blessing comes with a burden. And that's a part of being a church, to having a kid. To, like, it, like, you're going to have to embrace the good and the bad with the church. But maybe, just maybe, the reason why the church at times isn't adding value to the culture like it should is because it's being driven by something other than priorities that are rooted in biblical principles. That the only way the church can add value to a community that it's in is to be driven by priorities rooted in biblical principles and not just people's personalities and preferences. And for far too long, the church tends to get hijacked by personality and preference. I don't know that it's always intended to be that way. Because I think it's just natural for all of us to want things the way we want things, right? To do things the way that we like things. I mean, that's, that's all of ours. But if we are going to continue to be a church that for the next generation and generations to come adds value to people and helps people like the gentleman that I sat with on Tuesday and had conversations with, and you know what? He left after about an hour-long conversation, and, and we talked, and we had conversation, and we prayed together, and he walked out that door, and I have no idea where he will go from there. But you know, I told him multiple times, like, you need, you need a church. And if it's not this one, it needs to be a church. Because you need the church. And our prayer is that we become a church that is never just driven by personality and preference, but rooted in priorities that are biblical principles. And there are those, we set those priorities a long time ago because there are some things that we saw in scripture that we believed the church, and I'm not talking about an organization, y'all. I'm not talking about just a group of leaders. I'm talking about like the body of Christ has to value those things. And one of those things that is very clear and undeniable is the church must value intentional relationships. The church is first and foremost, it's inspiring people. People are the mission. Intentional relationships, I think you, can, you cannot deny that all throughout the, the scriptures, especially throughout the New Testament, especially as you examine Jesus' ministry, people find and follow Jesus through intentional relationships. That's through building relationships with people, getting to know people, stepping into their world, understanding who they are, that creates the opportunity for you and I to share Jesus with them. That... Although it may work from time to time, and I'm not saying it doesn't have a place, but I'm really curious that we don't stand on corners and yell at people with bullhorns that we don't know, or just hand some stranger just some information. No, that means we intentionally build relationships with people that don't think like us, talk like us, act like us, lost people so that they can come to the salvation that we have in Jesus. That's why as a church, you know what? I hope you have non-believing friends. Don't ever come up to me and say, Matt, everybody in my world is a Christian. I'm going to say, well, where's your mission field? Where's your mission field? If there's a nobody in your life that doesn't know him, who's the intentional person that you're building a relationship with the hopes that you can lead them to know who Jesus is? Because, you know, I think we look at the disciples 
And we think that Jesus went up to every one of them and said, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. Because that's the way we see it happen to Matthew and some others. But did you know that guy, Peter, that we talked about last week? He didn't come through Jesus' invitation. He came through his brother's invitation. Look at it. Go to John chapter 1, verse 40. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. And he brought, he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. That it was through that intentional relationship, Andrew went to the, that relationship that he had with his brother and says, Peter, I found him. I found him. You've got to come see Jesus has changed my life. You gotta come see. I gotta tell you about what I found. I found Jesus and I want, to, I want you to find him too. I, I, I found him. I love you. I love him. I want y'all to meet. <laughs> it's through intentional relationships that people find and follow Jesus and we will always prioritize. That's why one of the reasons we don't try to overchurch people because if, all, if you're at church all the time and you're never out in the community or connecting with other people, how are we bringing people, how are we building intentional relationships with people who don't know Jesus? That's why people come to me and say, Matt, will you come talk to my uncle? He doesn't know Jesus. Will you come talk to my uncle about Jesus? You know what my answer is? Have you talked to him about Jesus? Because you know him a lot better than I do. I'm willing. I'm not afraid. I want to. But don't ask me to talk to him about Jesus when you won't. Well, he'll ask me a question I don't know. He'll do the same to me. <laughs> Intentional relationships that we see, that's how... That's how people come to know Jesus, that the church has to prioritize intentional relationships. The church also has to prioritize an integrated community, an integrated community, that the body can't be just a bunch of little cliques who have intentional relationships with one another but are not connected to the whole. Integrated community in that what is reflected in our community is represented in our church. So whatever is represented out there should feel welcome in here. No matter the color of your skin, the money in your bank account, the education, whatever. Come on, somebody. This should be a place where we create a culture that lets anybody from that community step in those doors. And when those people holding those doors, our host team, who are doing more than just smiling at people, they're looking at that person and saying, I am glad you're here. I don't care what your baggage is. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what sin you're involved in, even right now, because you're in a place where you can get to know Jesus who can deal with it. I don't know if I can do this three times today, y'all. <laughs> An integrated community. I think about things like Romans 12. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body, each member belongs to all the others. And I think about James chapter 2, where James warns us about showing favoritism to any single people group, that my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, and but say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit on the floor at my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
that yeah, if we're gonna be the church that stays on purpose and not gets pushed off by people's preference, we have to always value intentional relationships and an integrated community. That y'all, we are not just some random group of people that happen to just walk into the same building. We are a royal priesthood chosen by God to be his vessel here and now to help people find and follow Jesus. And when we do it together, it's so much better. So much better. We will always prioritize innovative environments because we believe God is creative and innovative. Just look around the room. Look at all the innovation of the faces around you. Ain't none of them the same. We also believe that, you know what, we have, look at me, the greatest message that any human will ever tell, and it deserves a really good package. So we innovate, and we shift, and we change, and we modify, and we adjust, and we stay relevant. I know that's a weird word, but relevance is not giving people what they want. It's meeting people where they are. And the church is really bad about falling in love with our tradition and holding on to it even when it stops working. And we will not be that church. And let me tell you something, I'm concerned, y'all, because our generation is more in love with the way that we do church than the one before us who we got mad at. And when it needs to shift in a few years, are we gonna be ready? If it goes from guitars to sitting up here blowing in a jug and it gets people for Jesus, we gonna get us some jugs. We'll borrow some from y'all. <laughs> but Jesus, that's what frustrated him. When, when the religious people stayed true to the tradition, even when no, no longer did the tradition point to the God that the tradition was for, Matthew 15, then some Pharisees, teachers of the law, came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, for some reason they they can't use it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. See, the church is really bad about getting off purpose because we hold on traditions even when they no longer work. And like, y'all look at me. I'm not bashing the traditions. I love them. I grew up in them. I miss a cantata. I ain't gonna lie to y'all. I miss doing puppets in in children's church. But sometimes I wonder, is that more nostalgia than it is effectiveness? And we we gotta live with too much of sense of urgency to choose nostalgia over effective, right? Innovative environments. That if we're gonna stay on purpose, priorities rooted in biblical principles, intentional relationships, integrated community, innovative environments, and finally, inspirational leadership. The reason why we value inspirational leadership is because all throughout the Bible, God raised up leaders and leveraged their influence to advance what he wanted to do in the world. Come on. All throughout scripture, you see God raise up men and women 
who leveraged their influence for the kingdom of God, the glory of his name and the advance of his kingdom from, from Abraham to Moses and Miriam and Jesus and Peter and Lydia and Philippi and Phoebe and Paul and Priscilla and Aquila and all these people all throughout scripture. We see God raise them up, leverage their influence to advance his kingdom and build his church. And so that's why we love to raise up leaders and watch them. And leaders aren't what you, leaders aren't the people that stand on this platform, y'all. Leaders are right now sitting in those kids' classrooms, sitting crisscross applesauce, telling your children about Jesus, laying a foundation of faith. That is leadership. Leadership is holding that door and using that influence to make somebody feel welcome in this place. Leadership is in this room tonight from 5 to 645, telling your student what it means to follow Jesus. That is the collective influence of the body of Christ. Y'all know we've never taken a resume. I've never posted a position that every person that's a paid staff member here started out doing it for free. Leaders. This influence we leverage for the glory of God and the building of his kingdom. That's why in Hebrews we were told Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word over you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That the church is not something you have to have to get saved, but it is something that you need to be a disciple. And if the church is going to add value to its community and the church is going to be what Jesus intended it to be, it cannot be driven by anybody's personality or preference. It has to be motivated by priorities rooted in biblical principles. And those are the four things that we, those are the hills we're going to die on. Those are the places we're going to put energy. Those are the places that we're going to make sure are always protected to move us forward so that we can be the church, y'all, because this world needs Jesus, and the church is the vehicle to tell them about him. And I know I'm just like you, that I've seen the church at its best and at its worst. But it is a powerful thing, man. It is a powerful thing. I told you there were two things that I got to be a part of this week that I wouldn't have if I'd end up in Czech Republic. The second one was on Wednesday when for the very first time we hosted a memorial service in this building. A couple weeks ago before we were supposed to go off to Czech, a man in the community called me who used to be on staff at another church here in our community and he said, hey, there's a couple that we're connected with that have been to your church a few times before COVID. And since COVID, because of his health issues and stuff, they really haven't, they've been pretty cautious. But he's been battling brain tumor for almost 10 years. And they've called in hospice and they know that his time is probably coming to an end. And so he's in the midst of planning his memorial with his family. And one of the things that he did is he put together a playlist. He was a lover of music. So in here we had, we had like Jesus, culture, and Pink Floyd bumping up in the sanctuary on, on Wednesday. But he said he really wants to have the memorial at Vintage Church. I said, we'd be honored. I said, just let me know when he's going to pass, and we'll, we'll, we'll make arrangements however we need to. Tuesday morning while I was sitting in the, or Monday morning when I was sitting in the Newark Airport, ready to fly home. I got a text from him, and he said, Greg just passed. 
can you do the memorial service on Wednesday? I said, absolutely, we can. So y'all, on Wednesday, we, we rolled out the red carpet, and our team, Jasmine and Christian and Storm and Lyle and so many others, we did everything we can to make this building feel warm and welcome as that family came in, and y'all, it was beautiful a man who had lived his life for Jesus and given himself to the Lord and to watch his wife and his son stand on this platform and celebrate him. And you know what was the cool thing? There was probably at least five churches that I talked to represented in here. There was even a worship pastor from another church here in town that, that led worship from this platform and did a song. And, and I just looked around and I, I thought, this is how it's supposed to be, man. In this moment, we're just the church. Not vintage church or such and such Baptist church, just the church, just the body of Christ. And it felt like the church, just the body of Christ, walking a family through one of the hardest seasons of their lives. That's the church. The church isn't what happens on Sunday. The church is what happens when your life goes sideways and the relationships that you formed here are the ones that carry you through the hard seasons, that love on you, pray for you, encourage you, and walk with you. Not just the people that you sit beside on a Sunday, but the people that lay their hands on you when you pray, sit across from you and cry with you, walk you through the hardest season. The church is a place where strangers become friends and friends become family that you need. That's the body of Christ. And it's taken a hit over the last couple years. And I know people are ready to bury us. And there's times in this season that it does feel like it's holding on by a thread. But there's sometimes I watch it thrive. Sometimes even in the same day. Sometimes even the same day I feel like, Lord, we're hanging on by a thread. And then later that day I think, man, we're thriving now. We ain't going anywhere. You know, why am I confident? Because remember when Jesus gave us that mission? He said, and I'll be with you to the very end. And it ain't over, so we're not done. Did you hear me? It ain't over, so we're not done. And I believe that if we will keep the faith and trust him and come together, what God wants to do in and through his church in the future is greater than we've ever seen. You don't have to go to church. But church was never somewhere you went anyway. Church is not a place you go. It's a people that we are. And it will endure. Would you stand with me? Father, I pray that you would continue to help us see the beauty and power, even in the brokenness that is sometimes your body. And God, I pray that you would help us to stay on point, to live out your purposes, to be the body of Christ that adds value to the community that you've strategically put us in for such a time as this, that we would be a spark of hope, not for the building of this church, but for the glory of your name for the building of your kingdom. And God, for every person in this room, or maybe there are people watching online, and the reason why they're online is because they've said, nope, I'm not going back. I'm not stepping back in there. I can't do it anymore. God, I pray that you would keep us connected and unified and whole so that we can be the instrument of your grace that this world needs. 
May it start right now, God. May you well up something new in us, a new excitement for the future, a new belief in what could be. To see more than just the problems, but to embrace the potential. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.